I don't know, Patrick. I think that's going to be a hit. What do you think? I don't know. It's got uh, potential. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it is a legendary song. It is Turn Me Loose from the debut album of Loverboy, and we're joined in studio on Everything Film with uh, lead singer Mr. Mike Reno. Mike Reno, nice to... Uh, hey, great to have nice you Nice to have you. Thank you. Nice to be here, Joe. <sighs> what's, it, what's it like? You've heard that song a squillion times, I'm sure. You've played it a million. You've heard it a squillion you still get a charge out of when you're driving along and all of a sudden there comes a lover voice on you. Wow. You don't, you, don't, you don't crank the radio up and throw down the windows and go, hey, guys, it's me. But it, what, what, what goes through your mind when you hear one of your hits? It goes, uh, it just sounds good. It still sounds good after all these years. And I'm quite surprised by that because, you know, things have changed. Technically, things have changed uh, in the recording studio. But it still sounds good. I mean, it's current. And I think that has a lot to do with the people we chose to work with, with Bob Rock and, uh, you know, Bruce Fairbairn. And Mike Fraser was our second engineer. Now he's doing ACDC albums, for crying out loud. Anyways, I always turn it up, and it always sounds great, and it excites me. What, what excites me the most is how people all over the world love that song. And so it just seems to make it better. I mean, you know, it's, you, you, instead of getting sick of it, I, I just really love it. And, and it's, you know... I just do. Well, in our case, Patrick, I, I know that I don't like listening to me. Uh, I, I only listen to me to make sure that the show is on the air, is paid for. But beyond that, I don't want to hear... Were you... Well, you, you don't, hear, have, you a mil- you don't have a million-dollar voice, Joe <laughs> no, Lincoln, and, but, and a singing... You, know, like, you, know. you, you will listen to our show, and then you will tell me, oh, the show sounded pretty good. I, and meanwhile, I don't know, because I don't want to hear it. I'm, I don't like hearing myself do interviews. I can't stand listening to my talking voice. If I come on the radio talking, I just turn it right off. But it's just, it's weird, huh? And, and you're the same way. But you're not a singer. So, but mm-hmm. if you were a singer, you might like your stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Because, you, you know, you record it, you mix it, it sounds great. You put a little reverb on it, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds great. Well, the other thing is that you've, you've been in the industry and you've done this, and I, I, I like to call it like you have a second set of memories and stuff. So when you're watching a video or something you've done on TV, you probably see it different than the average fan, and you'll remember what happened at the party after, or what you know, who was doing what, or the mistakes, or things like that. And I'm sure you have a million stories. I'll give you like an that. example. Turn me loose. I it yeah. was done. Put in the put a, put away. The the two inch reels were taken off. Yeah. Put away. Paul was working on uh, some rhythm tracks on another song. Just something he wanted to redo. So they had all the, the and to put a two inch tape on the reels. A, a two-inch reel on the machine. You had to align the machine, and you had to bring the mix up, which just means you have to change everything on the mixing console. It takes an hour to set it up. Okay. So I came in one night, and Paul was working away, and I said hi to the guys. You know, Bob's mixing. Uh, you know, he's and Bruce is producing, and Paul's playing away. And when they took a little break, I went. See, I could just—I almost sounded like Dennis. I mean, I went. Hey guys, uh, can we put up "Turn Me Loose"? I want to try singing it again, right? And they just told me to get out. And I said, <laughs> "I said no, I'm serious." And then they took a break, and I said, "I'm really serious. I, I just feel like I could sing it all together better." And I, you know, just I just had a feeling. Yeah. And so they humored me, and they put it up, and I went out and sang it. And I changed a lot of the words, changed a lot of the phrasing, and I added the scream. The scream wasn't there. Oh, really? It wasn't there. And I walked outside after singing it, and everybody in the control room went crazy while I was singing it. And, and they just went, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. This is so great. And I thought, wow. And you really feel pumped up when you do a great track. You just feel like it's the Super Bowl, you know? Said so that, that 
wow. And I walked outside of Little Mountain Studios on 201 West 7th, and I looked up, and it was a full moon. And I was sweating, and I, it was summertime, and I went, wow. Oh, this is so great. And it was just a, a feeling. I, just, I'm still, I still have that feeling. I just I can't believe it, how great it was. And had I not you know, talked those guys in the change in the tape, and re-singing the track, it just wouldn't have happened. So it's, it's funny how things happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mike Reno is our guest. I want to ask you, Mike, before you have any clout, like when you're launching your debut album, you, you guys don't have any clout within the industry just yet. So who has the ultimate say? Do you as the artist go, no, no I'm not happy with that. I want to do it again. Or if you've got an accomplished producer, does the producer outrank you? Does the band collectively have a voice? Like how, who decides... This is the one we're going with. When, well, nobody outranks me, Chuck. Come on. <laughs> Not today, but <laughs> no, when um, you're starting out back in the no, 80s. Oh, that's a good question. What happens is the producer's hired to take care of the project, so it's really his, his deal. But the band, it's, it's our songs and it's our production. Now, Bruce Fairburn, as a producer, was smart enough, with us anyways, to let us just roll. So he used to say, roll, play the song five or six times. He said that after five or six times, he just said, Enough. That's just perfect. We got it. You know, it's like we we didn't even know if the record button was on because we were just playing it because we loved the music. And it, there are songs that we're just really getting into it. And when you're in the studio and you do a sound check and it sounds amazing, you just start playing it and you close your eyes. And it was, somebody came in and watched me sing one time and they says, it, you sang like you were live in concert in front of 80,000 people. You know, I'm just really into it. My eyes are closed. I got a towel. I'm sweating. I'm singing. I'm looking up. My eyes are closed. It's just one of those kind of experiences that you just do. And the producer would definitely have the last say. In our case, he didn't change much with us, which was kind of neat. And I think that's part of his production beauty. If if a band needs it, he'll do it. But in our case, he kind of just saw that we kind of had it going on. And which is nice because it's rock and roll. It's not all that complicated, you know. And one of the things I insisted on was not too many overdubs. I didn't want to sound like Boston. Not that I don't like Boston. It's just that when you have to go out and play 100 shows a year or whatever, you don't want everybody to go, well, where's the fourth guitar harmony and, and, and where's, the, where's the horn section and all that stuff they throw in a lot of times. And then the band shows up and it doesn't sound anything like that. In our case, I just wanted it straight off the floor as as much as possible, and that's why we didn't do a lot of a lot of overdubs. Much like the film industry, and not every audition you do you pass, not every film role you go for you get, not every record company that you're played for is going to go. Yeah, I mean, even Decca turned down the Beatles back in the day, so not everybody gets it. And I don't, I don't f- feel so bad now. <laughs> the the Loverboy story wasn't immediate success. It was there was some rejection before acceptance absolutely there was we i think we must have been turned down by all of them uh, i remember one time paul and i went down to california just to, to, with a demo tape that we kind of threw together in an eight-track studio and just to see if anybody would be interested and luckily enough we and this is before we even had management we got a uh, a listening with the columbia guy uh, pardon me a capital guy we ended up signing to columbia eventually but the Capitol guy was in front of us, and we, 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 we gave him this tape, and it was this cassette tape, and he, he plays it. And at the end of it, he goes, are you guys kidding me? <laughs> you know, and we went, you like him, huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we were yeah. just going, I saw it. They went, guys, this isn't, this isn't not what we're looking for. The funny thing is, it's the same batch of songs that went on to sell 60 million records, you know, over 
every so t- please tell me drove back down there later in life and just stuck it in his face. Uh, we've had a few moments to be able to look at the guys. And stuff. <laughs> Isn't that huh? awesome? Huh? Everybody yeah. wants to do that. That's great. One of the guys that turned us down was with Epic Records, which is uh, uh, a subsidiary of Columbia, mm-hmm. which is now Sony. But um, he said he came all the way to Vancouver and it was kind of winterish. But, you know, Vancouver, no, not really winterish. He came with a full-length, like, fur coat, and he came to the Spunky's El Morocco up on Broadway and <laughs> Main there, that little triangle mm-hmm. corner there. Do you remember Spunky's? I, I do. Know. I do. And it was downstairs, and it was packed, and we were kicking it. And uh, he sat up by the mixing board, kept his fur coat on the whole time, and then left. And at, that same, at the end of that same year, at Columbia had signed us, they invited us to play the international uh, um, year-end celebration in the Bahamas. It was an out, uh, outdoor poolside in a big, huge, grassy area with the pool and everything, and it was a big deal for all the international Columbia people, and they featured us. We played a 45-minute set, and on the way back after the show, we walked down this long hotel uh, hallway, and there's Lenny Pizzi. That's, he's the guy from Epic. He was the, the, the president. He had his sign out, and he was standing at the door with his stogie. And uh, when I walked by, he goes. <laughs> and I looked over, and I went, hey, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I just kept walking. I didn't grind him too bad, but I let him know that, uh, you know. That's rem- nice. Everybody's got to have I a remember, moment like that. I remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. you. Our guest is Mike Reno, Everything Film on BNN Bloomberg, 1410 AM, also 103.5 FM, HD3. I like asking artists questions about what's a hit, what becomes a hit. Do you know in your gut, like, did you know Turn Me Loose? Did you know Kid Is Hot Tonight? Did you know Working For The Weekend? Were there surprises? Were there songs that you thought would kick it that just were just went nowhere? Pretty much everything that made it, I was behind. I don't know why, but... A turn me loose for it's just like you know it just the way it built and it just got me i got goosebumps listening to it every time so i knew something was gonna good was gonna happen and that was basically our first the kid is hot tonight came out was a big single i wasn't sure about that one because if you really listen to the kid is hot tonight it has like four stages and not a not a lot of bands had four stages they had maybe two they went from here to here and then back Mm-hmm. We went from here to here to here to here, and it just kind of kept going. And by the time you're finished, you're going, "The kid <laughs> is out tonight." <laughs> you know? do, you think, do you think? Do you think your career? And I and I say this because a lot of our audience are obviously trying to break into the film industry, actors, things like that, and you know they're looking for their big break. And I I hate to even use that with a guy like you that's been through it. But did you have it? Like, was it a gradual climb success? Or was there, can you remember one day where you just walked into a stadium full of like 30, 40,000 people and went, this is a big change? Like, did it happen just overnight? It happened quicker than most. Quicker? Yeah. We played clubs before we got signed. Right. But never after. Right. So it just, it... uh, It changed. But I I got an interesting story for you because you have to really hear the story with us. Okay. We did a record and then... We took one of those, we grabbed our girlfriends, it was our drummer Matt, Paul, me, and me, and our girlfriends, we went down to uh, Puerto Vallarta on the, you know, $800 for the whole week thing, (laughs) with flights, and we're down there for three days, 
and the phone rings. And back when the phone rings back then, it rang in the lobby. This is Mexico. Right. And the guy from the, from the lobby had to come down and get you on the beach, bring you back to the lobby. You didn't even have phones in your rooms back then. Right. It's Mexico. And it's Bruce Allen. He goes, Reno, get the boys together. We need you to get on a plane to get back to Los Angeles. Dick Clark wants you on his show this Saturday. And it was like Thursday, and I went, what? (laughs) That's great. And Dick Clark, you know, was a big deal. Was that American Bandstand still? American Bandstand. Oh, wow. (laughs) That'd be great to get a tape of that. I'd like to see that. It's on our website. Well, it was. Anyways, it's it's off and on, but we put it on our website. We had a whole bunch of stuff on our website, and then we just recently redid it. But... It's uh, it's been around. It's around. It's easy to get. Probably on YouTube, you can find it. But you know what the deal with him is, and this is kind of fun too because he brought us back a second time, and it was almost like he was our dad. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he he just loved us, and he was going, Canada, you must be so proud of you guys. And he goes, everybody in the states thinks you're yours. They're you know, you're theirs rather, and. And they goes, but Canada, you know, you're from Canada. This is great, right? And he was just freaking out. And then we played him a song. And right after the song, we said, Dick, he was thanking us. We went, Dick, we got something for you. We gave him a gold album. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he was visibly touched and said that he had never received a gold wow. record like wow. that from a band on stage, like right at the show. He maybe have got them over the years, but... He was pretty impressed that we gave him one. I remember interviewing Randy Backman, and he was telling me a story. They were in a hotel room somewhere in the U.S. Their manager had called the hotel to tell them that just these eyes and laughing had just knocked the Beatles out of the number one position on the Billboard Hot 100. Right. And he said it was one of those moments they were literally holding hands and jumping up and down in the hotel beds like school kids, giddy with excitement. You must have had a moment like that where all of a sudden maybe Bruce Allen calls you or you see your name on the charts or somebody tells you, hey, you're the most added and, you know, the number one power station in, in L.A. Do you remember that pivotal moment where you realized, holy crap, this is for real? One of the big moments for me was hearing it for the first time on the radio because that was really the ultimate goal is to record some songs and have them come up on the radio because that's what we all wanted, right? Radio was, was <laughs> that's what you're shooting for. Um, cause then if it's on the radio, you're going to do concerts and it's just all going to go from there. We had, uh, we climbed the charts. I got a, somebody sent me a billboard the other day and we were, <laughs> cause we were on tour with Journey and our album was ahead of their album and we're on Columbia and then their album went ahead of ours and ours hit went ahead of theirs and it was up back forth cause it was Get Lucky, our second album and it was Escape by Journey with uh, all the big songs on it. And that was on the same record company. What a tour that was. But climbing the charts was something fierce. We, you know, People used to call us and go, you're charting, you're charting. And charting is just so crazy because you never really know what's going on. And a lot, a lot of things can change in this music business. One of the main crazy stories uh, that happened to us was that uh, Columbia Records, along with all the other record companies, had always hired independent uh, promoters of records. So they would promote the records independently of the record label because they could do more. And back then, a lot happened to promote a record. You take them out for dinner or whatever happens, happens, happens. You know, it's whatever. Use your imagination. And then times it by 10. And that's probably what really happened to promote the record. But the the companies decided not to use the independent record promoters anymore, so they let them go. 
and one of the independent record promoters came walking in, the president of Columbia Records in New York City, and he kicked open the door. He says, so you're not using this anymore? And they go, no, we're not going to use you anymore. And there was a billboard chart on the wall and a dartboard over here. He grabbed a dart and he goes, bonk. He says, wherever that lands, I'm going to kill that band. And it <laughs> landed on Turn Me Loose. <laughs> I, kid, I kid you not. Wow. And he walked over, looked at it, and he went, that's not going to break the top 40. And it never did. Wow. Oh. Now, you want to talk about how, uh, you know, you know, promotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can sink you. If they don't want you up there, you're not going to be there. And it's, 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 yeah, there's probably a lot of things I don't even want to know, but... We're talking with Mike Reno. This is Everything Film on BNN Bloomberg, 1410 AM. We'll take a break and come back because there's so much more. We've only just scratched the surface, Mr. Shelton. Oh, this is fantastic. We we could go probably for two days with you, Mike. Do you have (laughs) anything planned after this? Time doesn't uh... permit, but we could. Uh, More more with Mike Reno coming up.